0: Okay, one, two, three, here we go. Thanks for coming back. Uh, a few housekeeping things. Uh, it's Thanksgiving week, so we, we always know uh, we'll be a little thin on this Sunday and we'll always be a little thin on next Sunday. But we hate to cancel too much. So um, here's where we're going. Uh, Bible study today, this will be the last one in this series. Then next week, uh, we expect the crowd to be even a bit thinner on Thanksgiving week, but many of you come... So we always want to make use of the time to let you know what's cooking. And we'll take a little tour next door. The guys, uh, the men and women who have been working next door have done a tremendous amount of work in the last three weeks. The third floor uh, looks like something. The second floor looks like something. Uh, A lot of stone is already down. Uh, The Jerusalem stone, it's very nice, is already down from uh, over the past couple of weeks. So we just want to show you those things. We also got this week... Uh, the finials, which are the bronze cast uh, heads of the four evangelists that will go on the lectern. Those came in this week. We can show you those things. And we also brought a few things back from our our little vacation. Um, You know, not everybody knew that we were going. Uh, Partly that's intentional, part not intentional. Uh, It's never a good idea for a pastor to, to say in advance, I'm leaving. I don't know if you know the recent history, but you're most at risk to be robbed when you're at a wedding a funeral that's for all of you if you have a wedding and it's in the and it's in the in the in the in the newspaper or a funeral that's in the newspaper very often the funeral directors will tell you to have a friend come and sit or even hire somebody to sit in your house because it's very likely um, uh, you know the people's houses get robbed that's true for pastors too it's better for pastors to tell you after the fact where they've been and uh, went on vacation. If we put such a thing in the bulletin and then it's left around coffee shops and Starbucks and every place, that just kind of makes us a target during the week. And that was especially true for us having our wives and kids at home. So uh, it wasn't that it was such a big secret but it was more that you know we can sort of tell you after the fact. So as many of you know, um, and this can only be a testament to the graciousness of our wives, the pastors took vacation together. Um, It was a good vacation. We went to Rome and to Venice and we spent Almost all of the time in liturgical supply houses. We probably went between 15 and 20 liturgical supply houses in three different cities and um, We were in the best shops in the world what we found out is that we can buy the best stuff That's made and have it made to our specifications for the new place and we can do that for the cost of what you'd pay for kind of the basic stuff if you ordered in America so, I mean, this is just a traditional thing of cutting out the middleman and going directly, um, you know, where stuff is made. <clears throat> Somebody posed the question already this morning was the trip successful? Well, there's two, two ways to look at it. One is it couldn't be successful because the pastors paid their own way. So we took vacation, we paid our own way, and, you know, then we worked the whole time. So, kind of from as, you're, as far as you're concerned, it couldn't, it could, at worst it could be a neutral if we fought over the pasta. Uh, you know, but from our perspective, it was unbelievable because we got three and four hours in some of the best places in the world. We learned a ton. Uh, I mean, we learned so much about fabrics and construction, and we tried on thing after thing after thing, and we looked at um, pictures and artwork and crucifixes and chalices and scads of stuff. And by the way, if you have any money rattling around in your pocket, you don't know what to do, I can tell you where you should spend it, okay? <laughs> So we did buy a couple of uh, crucifixes as well, one for the altar and one that we think can become a processional cross, although Marty Johnson needs to work on it just a little bit because there was a little shake in the transit, you know, so a little glue, hot glue, and a little little this and a little that. and I'm going to need some love, okay? So uh, I'll call you this week. Um, Anyway, we'll show you some of that stuff next week, and, and probably go. we'll probably go ahead and order some things um, this week. But in any case, what I want to make clear is we took vacation days, so and we paid for it ourselves. The odd thing for you was um, the nervousness that you wouldn't have a pastor around, but we intentionally did it on a week when Vicar Wheatfeld could come back. It was his vacation week, so he knows the score. And also then we did what is the normal thing, which is we got our circuit counselor, David Bala, to cover for us, and you heard him preach last week. So... Things were in good shape, and, and um, it seemed to be actually go pretty well. Now, it would not be a complete announcement that Karen did not ask me one question. Oh go ahead. I do have a question. You, you can ask them. <laughs> I, I actually don't think that we rise to that level. Uh, the question was, do we travel? The real question you're asking is if we all sit on the same plane. That's the question. Well, yeah, kinda. I mean, after 9-11, I, yeah. it makes me a little nervous to think that you guys are all together. To be honest with you, your chance of a 9-11 event is less than being hit by lightning. <laughs> Although you wouldn't think of it from all the security. But we we were going to travel together. You know, it turned out that we ended up on some different planes. Um, but you know what? The Lord will sort it out. Uh, you know, he, uh, well, you know. If that, you're very kind to ask the question to be concerned about us. Um, I worry less and less about those things these days. I think you know the Lord sorts things out. And he gets things done the way he wants them to get done. I was much more concerned about you um, making sure that everybody everything was covered. But there was. An hour-by-hour hour schedule in the office of everything that had to be done for a week and who was covering it. So it was very um, well organized in advance, and, and it worked out okay. And I will say, it was—you know—it's difficult to travel with anybody. If you've ever been on family vacation, you get a taste of that. It's doubly true if you travel in a country where you know the language isn't familiar and everything's upside down because from because of time and travel and trains and all sorts of things. Um, the three other guys were fantastic to travel with. We got so much done, and it was it was good for us. We you know we li- leave kind of busy lives here, and we try to spend our downtime with our families. But it was good for us to just spend some time together. We got a lot of good work done, and uh, the guys I work with are really good guys. It's nice to just have some time to goof around with them a little bit. That that's that's very nice. So um, you know, eat things that are still squirming and uh, have strange colors like that. So. <laughs> Just any questions about any of that? So we'll show you a couple of things from that excursion next week, but there are still things to, um, this is kind of toward the future. So here's what I think we're gonna do. Uh, we'll, we'll finish up with um, some Bible stories today. We will have a little tour next week. For you who are at the men's retreat, I'm thinking about um, a, a couple of you, more than a couple of you have asked me to sort of do that in the broader congregation. For the men's retreat, I did the thing on finding your spot. And I may do that on the Sundays um, leading into December because we always take a couple of weeks off because so we have three weeks or so where something needs to be self-contained. And then when we come back, uh, in some way we're going to, when we come back in January, in some way we're going to gear ourselves toward moving into the new space. But we're going to do that in a biblical way. So... Um, I don't want to start teaching about the space until we're actually in the space. It'll be much more fun to talk about the font when we're sitting next to it and looking at it and talking about it and why does the water move and why is it so big and what are those stones doing around there and why the grate and, you know, why is it at the door and on and on and on. It'll be more fun if we're actually sitting there. But there are some things in advance that we should talk about. uh, Hospitality, for example, uh, or maybe maybe kind of firming up some plans just in terms of communication service times and... Everybody can kind of get their last licks in before we make the final, you know, final call on those things. So maybe just some time to talk. And uh, really, you know, I am hoping uh, Easter or before. So I'll sort of say that publicly now. You know what I'm hoping for is Easter or before. But we cannot control some things. Uh, For example, Bruce Klein, our architect, you know, he had the tragic, two tragic deaths in his family this week. And so... Um, you may have seen it. It was a very famous story a car hit a whole pack of motorcycle people in California well two of those were his cousins and, and both the mom and the dad were killed And so there's a 10 year old and a 12 year old so Bruce in the middle has gone off to California to care for the family Which he should do But that puts us behind of course because he's got to focus there and not here. There are things like that We just can't control um, on the other hand, we have people who are working there day and night trying to make things happen. So I will sort of say publicly to you in my own mind what I'm hoping for is Easter or before, but I can't control everything. In fact, I can hardly control anything, okay? <laughs> so keep Bruce and his family in your prayers and then kind of give us a little bit of grace. Know that we're aiming at this, but when we get there, you know, we want you to feel good about it. And, and we will, people have asked, we will do all the normal things, which are we'll have a, a service here that sort of says, thanks very much to the Lord for all he's given us, and we'll have a service there which will say this is our new holy space, and thanks for the Lord for incarnating this place, and then forward we'll go from there. So I'm just sort of giving you the lineup. There's, I know you're busy because it's Thanksgiving and then it's Christmas. You know, we're all busy too, but we have this parallel life going on where we want to make that work and we want to make it really good. While I'm doing all this, please let me put a punch in for work days. It's still Mondays and Wednesdays and Saturdays, although this Wednesday gets moved to Friday because of the holiday. If you can come in, I mean, there's been so much work done the past couple weeks, but really 10 people make such such a big difference compared to 5, uh, or 20 compared to 10. If you can kind of think of that in your heads, Monday evenings, Wednesday evenings, and Saturday mornings, we're at the painting, cleaning, picking up moving spot. There's something for everybody to do. Have I got this right? Where are you, Rich? Have I got this right? It's pretty close. It's pretty close. Okay. So Actually, if I get pretty close to these because I'm feeling good. So everybody okay? Thanks um, for indulging us about the trip. It's very kind. You know, we were a little nervous, too, about us all being gone. On the other hand, uh, it was good for us to have some time together. It was very productive. It didn't cost the church anything. And um, you know, kind of pushed us forward. It made a lot of decisions for us as we go forward. So that was a really helpful, helpful thing. Um, so any questions about that or anything else? So that's the path. That's here to Easter. We've got a lot to do, friends, but it's going to be good duty all the way out. Okay. So it's, and thanks for you know, being faithful and coming out every week. Anything else? Just about anything? It feels, you know, we don't always have the chance to talk, but just let you know. Okay, let's pray, and then we'll have one more go here. This is the last Sunday of the church year. So ne- this is New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve, as it were, and it's always the church ends, and then the church begins, and so you had this very strange gospel reading had Jesus crucified in November because that's the end of all things. It's also the beginning of all things. So that's the hinge on which it turns. Traditionally, on the last Sunday of the church year, the text was Luke 12, 35, let your loins be girded and your lamps burning. Pay attention. Christ is coming back. You should be ready. Live the life he wants you to live. Almighty and everlasting God, who has promised to us a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, we beg you, direct us by your Spirit, that we may wait watchfully for the coming of your Son, and with holy lives, go forth to meet him. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we get started, I'll send this Grace School. Uh, y'all love Grace School. You know where that is. If you've got a little extra change, toss it in there. And I presume, like we always do, we'll have some Christmas deal for Grace School. We'll load up around Christmas and take them all kinds of stuff that they need. But be thinking about them now. Also be thinking about Christmas sharing. It's the coolest thing. You're giving Christmas to 150 families who couldn't have it otherwise. So listen to Carol. Read the announcements. Bring food. Bring new clothes. Bring stuff. Uh, it's all good. And come work, and come work. But read the announcement. It'll all be in the announcement, right? Where's my thank you for indulging me, Mr. President, with all of that?
1: In today's Bible story, the Lord sends his prophet Samuel to the little town of Bethlehem. Now, maybe you remember a few weeks ago, the Lord sent his prophet Jonah to the city of Nineveh. And Nineveh was called a great city. But scripture calls Bethlehem the least among the princes of Judah. So how could anything important ever happen in Bethlehem? We started out a long time ago, we talked about Jacob and Jacob buried his wife Rachel in Bethlehem. And then a few weeks later, we talked about Ruth and Ruth lived with her husband Obed in Bethlehem. But that was more than 100 years before the story today So it's still kind of hard to imagine why would we consider Bethlehem to be an important town? The reason is that a few weeks from now we're gonna call Bethlehem the city of David. So this morning we're gonna talk about how that happened and why that's true. The Lord sent Samuel to Bethlehem to anoint a king. Now here's the problem, Israel already had a king Saul was the king of Israel. In fact, Samuel had anointed Saul himself. The people of Israel didn't have a king. All the countries, all the nations around had a king, and the people of Israel felt jealous. They said, we don't have a king, everybody else has got a king. The Lord didn't think it was a good idea, Samuel didn't think it was a good idea, but the Lord said, go ahead, Samuel, let's anoint a king um, and give the people what they want. So Samuel anointed Saul. And at, the, at first, it kind of uh, seemed like it was going to work out okay. Saul, when he anointed Saul, Saul looked like a king. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was strong and smart and he had, you know, a silver tongue. He was everything that you want a king to be and to look like. And he was brave and he fought Israel's enemies and defeated them. He was a good king. But then he started to go his own way and he disobeyed God. And God... God regretted making Saul the king. He wanted a new king. And so God removed, withdrew his spirit from Saul. And when God's spirit left Saul, an evil spirit entered Saul instead. And so Saul experienced a lot of torment and distress um, because of this evil spirit. And that's another part of the story that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But the Lord came to Samuel and he said, I want a new king. I want you to anoint a new king for me. So uh, the Lord told Samuel, he said, fill your horn with oil and go to the city of uh, Bethlehem and talk to a guy there named Jesse. Now I see uh, Larry Hoffman sitting out there. Larry, you play the trumpet, is that right? You are correct. Did you ever fill your horn with oil? You've not done that. Davy Crockett used to fill his horn with gunpowder, and that's a different thing too. But back in the day, the prophets filled their horns with oil because that's what they used to anoint people when they chose somebody special and set them aside for the Lord's work. So the Lord said to Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem and talk to Jesse because I've chosen one of Jesse's sons to be the new king, and I want you to anoint him. And Samuel said to the Lord, I don't think that's a good idea because when Saul finds out, you know, it's not gonna be good for uh, old Samuel here. The Lord said to Samuel, don't worry about that. What I want you to do is go find a young cow, go find a heifer, tie a rope around her neck and take her to Bethlehem with you. Because when you get there, what I want you to do is to have a worship service and sacrifice the heifer, and then I'll tell you what to do next. So you're just going to Bethlehem for worship and for sacrifice. So Samuel filled his horn with oil and he grabs uh, the heifer and they go off to Bethlehem. And as they approach the little town of Bethlehem, the elders of the city came out and they saw the Lord's man coming, here comes Samuel. So they're all worried, why is Samuel coming to this podunk town? Because we already know it's not very important and here comes the prophet of the Lord. So they came out and they said, where are you up to? You know, Are you coming in peace? And he said, yes, I'm here for worship and for sacrifice. In fact, you're all welcome to come. So everybody in the town came out. And uh, Samuel consecrated them before the service. And then they had their service and they had their sacrifice. And everyone was there. And Jesse was there too with his boys. He had some sons. And so as soon as Samuel saw Jesse's oldest son, who was Eliab, he said, now I get it. That's, That's the one that God has chosen because Eliab was not that different from Saul. He was taller than everybody else. He was handsome, he was smart. So he reaches for his horn of oil, and the Lord said, not so fast. That's not the guy I've chosen. And Samuel said, you gotta be kidding me. And the Lord told Samuel, he said, people judge others by the way that they look and the way they appear. But the Lord judges people by looking on their heart. And this isn't the one that I've chosen. So Samuel said, okay, I guess we better look at number two. So, Abinadab comes out, number two son. And he's not a bad specimen either, he could be a king. So um, Samuel uh, reaches for his horn of oil again, and the Lord said, no, he's not the one. So number three, Shammah comes by, and he walks back and forth in front of uh, Samuel and said, how about me? And the Lord said, no, that's not the one. So Samuel asked Jesse, he said, how many boys do you have? And He said, well, I've got eight sons. And Samuel said, well, we better run them by and see who the Lord has chosen. So one by one, Jesse's sons walk in front of Samuel and the Lord says, nope, 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 seven times. I don't know if that was seven, it's close, okay? <laughs> but there were no yeses and all of a sudden there's no more sons. And so uh, so Samuel says to, the, to Jesse, he said, is that it? He said, well, you know, there's David, but he's just a youngster. He's out in the field. He's watching the sheep. Probably working on the 23rd Psalm or something. But you know him. <laughs> and uh, and the, and Samuel said, I guess uh, I need to see. I need to see David. So they sent somebody out and they brought David in. And as soon as David came in front of Samuel, the Lord said, He's the one I've chosen. So Samuel took his horn of oil and he anointed David to be the next king of Israel. And you know what happened next? After Samuel anointed David, God's spirit came and filled filled David up. It was the same spirit that the Lord had taken away from Saul, and now it was on David. Well, David didn't become king right away. The Lord had to prepare him first. Saul was still the king. Saul uh, was still having trouble because of this evil spirit. Great torment, great distress. And so all of Saul's advisors uh, wanted to help him. And they said, you know what might help Saul would be if you had a little uh, good music, some soothing music might make you feel better. How about some harp? You like harp, that'll make you feel better when you're feeling bad. So why don't we find a musician who can do that for you? Well, one of the servants of Saul said, I know a guy. He said, I know a guy named Jesse in the little town of Bethlehem And he's got a boy who's pretty good on the harp. Why don't we get him to come? So they sent for David and David came and he played his harp for Saul. And the music was soothing. And in fact, when David played his harp, God's spirit who was on David really covered everyone in the place, including King Saul and the evil spirit withdrew. And Saul felt peaceful and he felt much better. And so uh, Saul said, you know, I'd like David to stay here with me. And so he sent word to, Jesse's, to Jesse, David's father, that he wanted uh, David to stay permanently there so that David could play his harp when he was feeling badly. And David did that. David began to live in the palace and Saul became very fond of him and he made him one of his servants, one of his armor bearers.
0: What are you going to do with that? Um, There's quite a lot going on in the story. Even It's actually helpful when you listen to somebody else tell the story. You can see how much more is going on. Um, We started with this, and you can see it in the first line. Um, Sometimes there's such an obvious choice, and then the Lord doesn't take it. And now I'm struck by listening to the story again, how you would ever know what to do if it's not obvious to you. So the Lord has these choices that He makes in all of our lives, and um, sometimes we recognize them, and sometimes we don't. But it can be uh, very, very difficult. Uh, how do you how do you know uh, what's the Lord's way or what's the Lord's will? One of the good things about the Lord is that He is uh, unambiguous in the important things. The Lord is completely clear. Uh, in, in, in the most important things, the Lord is completely clear. He never leaves us in doubt. He always gives us certainty. In the things that really matter, the Lord uh, shows us the way. So I give you a couple of things here. It's so odd in this group that Saul was rejected. It's so odd to move down the line to a younger mm-hmm. boy. It's so odd that David would be the choice. But you should always remember and uh, I want you to be able to say this in the way of the gospel and not the way of the law, that the Lord doesn't clear his plans with us first. And if he did, your lives would be poorer for it. If you always got control of the Lord and he, he could only ever do to you or with you or for you what you approved, your life would be poorer. Your life would never be bigger than you. And one of the things about the church is that your life is always meant to be drawn into something bigger than you. Part of what we're doing here is to expose you to something larger than your own life. And if the Lord always asks you first, or I'll even put it more personally, if you always get what you pray for, that's not a good life. That will be a life uh, that will be dangerously thin, and actually at times bordering on idolatry. Idolatry is when you control your life. That's what a witch does, of course. Um, Witches and sorcerers try to control the future. That's the point of the demonic. The demonic always tries to wrest control from God to control events. The way of faith is rather to simply follow the Lord. However, the Lord doesn't leave you just sort of flailing about wondering what to do. And so he makes very clear who it is, um, who it is that will be the king. So often, I'm just at point number two here, the Lord doesn't clear his plans with us first. You know, as in, I've just got to have this, or I'll die. I've just got to have this girlfriend, this job, this college admission, this, that, the other thing. I've just got to, I've just got to have this, or I'll die. Actually, there's very few things like this that will kill you. Okay. Um, so let the Lord, you know, be open to what the Lord might have. And you notice too that Samuel doesn't always know what's going on in advance. The Lord doesn't even clear his plans with uh, Samuel. And over next Lent you can muse about whether or not the Lord cleared his plans with Jesus. But that's another topic. Yes, please. To him. Good. Good. Very good question. So the question is, in the history of kings, don't the kings have some say about who comes next? And the answer is yes, and normally it's the oldest son. Uh, And so wouldn't Saul be justified in some retribution against David or anybody else who would seek the kingship? Normally, except that Israel is slightly different because uh, in Israel, God is the king, right? Now, I know Samuel is the king, or I'm sorry, I know that Saul is the king but in Israel, actually, God is the king. And so you have this interplay where uh, uh, God says A, and Saul says not A, and he does it so much that eventually God says, uh, you were really a bad choice. right? But just so you don't think that this is so odd, um, that can happen to all of us as well. I mean, the Lord chooses you in your baptism, and he says to you, I'd love for you to live this particular life. And you move through your life and say, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. And this is Romans uh, 2 and 3, which are very frightening chapters in the scripture, where it says, do you presume upon the patience of God? Do you think you can refuse God forever and ever, and he won't just simply give up on you? It's, a, it's about Romans 2.5 or 2.4, you can look it up. It's a frightening piece of scripture. It does happen. you got to work at it, but it does happen. Saul worked at it, it did happen. So it's a great question. But um, it solves itself if you move up to the next level and have have God be the king, God the Father be the king. Yes, David. Yes, one of the things I noticed when I first started with looking at Jesus genealogy in the scriptures, I was struck by how frequently God chose the the unlikely person. Right. Uh, Sarah, the barren one, was the one who gave birth to the heir. Right. Right. So your Christmas party is going to look a lot like Jesus' Christmas party. I mean, the relatives you have around the Christmas tree this year, those are Jesus' relatives too. He's got the odd hooker, you know. he's got an uncle in a dress, he's got people who... I mean, read the genealogy, that's what's happening. But part of that is to show you that um, God uses, and now this is where we're going for the rest of the time, people like you and me to do his work, and that's a very odd choice. So the the comment is, Jesus' genealogy isn't exactly pure, and that's true. Very good point. It is a genealogy that is redeemed, right? And so that should give you all great comfort, as should this story, because just real frankly, I don't have the abilities to be pastor, and you don't have the abilities to be people. And we don't have the abilities to make this church go, or any church go, or to have the kingdom of God in our hands, unless, of course, God's spirit rests upon us. Now, often for us, the spirit of God is ambiguous. Um, how many shocking things can I say in one Bible study? Uh, part of the reason young kids have sex so much is that they don't know if they're in love. Love is very ambiguous, but you know if you've had sex. okay? And they confuse the two. This is basic teenage parenting. Um, analogous to that is you may or may not know if you have faith but you do know if you've been baptized you may or may not feel strong as a Christian but you know if you've been to the Eucharist and you may or may not feel like you have the abilities to be king but you know if Samuel showed up and poured oil over your head and that's what I meant from the beginning when I said God God doesn't leave us in uncertainty. God always makes certain what his plans are insofar as you need to know them. So here's what you need to know about yourself. You need to know that God created you and that you were baptized. You need to know that Christ died for you and he forgives you with holy absolution, which is why it's actually not bad when people are forgiven to actually mark them with the sign of the cross. There's something about touch that makes things certain. And you actually know if you've been, you you actually know whether or not you've been to the Eucharist. Christ gives you his body and blood, not only to forgive you, but as our catechism says, where there is forgiveness of sins, there's life and salvation. There is life and salvation. Get out, get busy, get moving. You're part of the kingdom of God. You may not think you're equipped for things just the way David didn't think he was equipped and just the way Saul didn't work out. But if the prophet pours oil on you, if the water in the name hits you, if the holy body and blood are on your tongue, if you've been touched with the sign of the cross, you belong to Christ, you're forgiven, and you move through. And so, um, I give you the last... uh, Joe did a very nice job. It's interesting that we both pulled out the same verse. If I had to say one verse out of all of chapter 16, I'll give it to you right there. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. You look around this room and you look at other people and we're all given to judgments. And yet you all should know that the Lord judges you very differently than I judge you or the Lord judges me very differently than you judge me. Look at the person next to you. The Lord judges that person very differently because the Lord sees that person in a completely different light. See, the Lord sees not as the man sees. I see primarily external things according to my preference. That's what you normally see too. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So, this is point three, I suppose we should all watch our watching and judge by the external ways of the Lord and not by the internal ways of our own heart. If we need to ask a question about what kind of man Marty is, the question doesn't lie in my heart. Judge not and you not be judged. That doesn't mean you never make judgments. It means that you always judge with the righteous judgment of Jesus. The question is not what I think about Marty, the question is what Jesus thinks about Marty. And faith then agrees. Did you see, I did not select the margin comment this morning on Augustine, but whoever did, congratulations. Did you see the margin comment for St. Augustine about Jesus on the cross? That was brilliant. That was something I would never thought about. It makes complete sense about love your enemies. It's like page nine in there. Love your enemies as yourself makes complete sense When it says, Jesus not only sees, but he foresees. So how can Jesus love the people that have nailed him to the cross? He can love them because while they're his enemies right now, he foresees a day when they will be his friends. That's why you don't need to hate anybody or be angry at anybody. There will be a day when your worst enemy becomes your friend. It's why you don't need to judge anybody. Because the people you think ill of now are redeemed by Christ, and someday belong to the same church, live in the same heaven that you all live in. It's brilliant stuff. And all that has to do with agreeing with God. It's this simple. If none of the rest made sense, let this make sense. Faith agrees. So when the prophet comes and he anoints David, and they says, this is your new king, the proper response to that is, that's my new king. Amen. Yes. So when Jesus says to you, your sins are forgiven, the the proper response is, thank you very much, my sins are forgiven. When Jesus says, I love you, the proper response is, you love me. When Jesus says, I died for you, your proper response is, you died for me. When Jesus says to you, I want to use you, the proper response is, where? That will be the four uh, Advent gospel readings coming up. Zechariah, Elizabeth, Joseph, and Mary. The angel comes to each of them and says, you're in business, I need to use you. And you'll see in those four stories how faith responds, better and worse in each of those stories. But faith agrees with God. Now the good thing is you're not left guessing. So, so one the first thing is God makes choices. The second thing is faith agrees with those choices. The third thing is you don't have to guess. And that's what I've given you the balance here from the Lutheran confessions. Um, You know, I don't know if you sit around tonight and read the Lutheran Confessions. A few of you have told me that you do, and frankly, I worry about you. But, uh, you know, the Augsburg Confession is the sort of thing that all Lutherans can agree on. The first article is God. The second article is sin. The third article is Christ on the cross. The fourth article is justification. And then the fifth article, which is, so what? What difference does that make for me? Or, more importantly, How does that affect me? Or how do I know that he's for me and not against me? What if Jesus died for all of you and not for me? Double predestination. What if Jesus died for everybody else in the room but not for me? Yet you all may be fine, but in the middle of the night when I'm all alone, how do I know that it's for me? And the answer is here, in the external things. This is as external as pouring the oil over the top of David's head. To obtain such faith, So that's faith where I can say, Jesus is for me. God instituted the office of the ministry, which you probably, as soon as that's said, you think about ministers rather than ministry. But don't think about pastors for a moment. First think about the ministry. What's the ministry? That is, provided the gospel and the sacraments. So the ministry isn't first... Pastors, although you can't get away from that, because you actually need somebody to go to work, the ministry is the is word and sacrament. That's what the ministry is. That's why it's always a little odd when you say, we have a softball ministry or we have an outreach ministry or we have a pancake ministry or we have a car wash ministry. That actually, you know, I know what you mean when you say that, but the word ministry is never plural plural for Lutherans. It's always singular, and it means the means of grace. It means so properly ministry means the gifts of Jesus word and sacrament so so that you'll be sure that you're saved Jesus left some things behind he left words for your ear and water for your skin and the body and blood his own body and blood for your mouth so that you'll be sure that it's for you that touches you just like David how can I be the king I've already there's already a king no If the prophet pours oil over you and sacrifices a heifer and invites everybody to celebrate, you're the king. Okay? If Jesus baptizes you and he forgives your sins and he puts his body and blood into you, you're a priest. You're part of the priesthood of all believers. And if you come to the front and you're ordained and they put oil on you and put a stole on your shoulders and then dress you in a chauzable and make you fit to go to the Eucharist, then you're a pastor. You know, no matter what you think about yourself, that's what the Lord has said. Through these, as through means, he gives the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit he gave to David, who works faith when and where he pleases in those who hear the gospel. And the gospel teaches that we have a gracious God, not by our own merits, but by the merits of Christ. If you're thinking about yourself... um, that's not faith. You remember this famous, uh, or maybe you don't know this, I think I've said it to you before, there's a famous um, radio interview, at least it's famous for people who love Norman Nagel. Uh, and Norman's been here a couple of times and was you know, a great gift to me in my own life. There's a, there was a radio interview once where um, the host said, he began the interview with Nagel like this. He said, tell me about faith. And Nagel said, I will not. Now, that's not, the, that's not what you expect the pastor to say. The the, I mean, the guy's a theologian. He's dean of the graduate school at our seminar. Tell me about faith. I will not. You know, faith can't talk about itself. Faith only ever agrees with God. Faith only ever says, in David's case, he anointed me and made me king. In your case, he baptized me and made me a priest. In your case, he loves me and he gave me his Eucharist. In your case, He loves me and He forgave my sins. Which is why when you make the sign of the cross, you don't have to. But there's something about the tactile, putting Jesus on yourself. It's tactile. It's a kiss. It's a touch. There's no it's an external. The body and blood's put into you, it touches you, the physical touch, just like the physical touch of David. And so then um, you're never left in doubt. It's the most gracious thing. I mean, you're loved desperately. And to do that, um, I just gave you Augsburg 14. It's taught among us that nobody should publicly teach or preach or administer the sacraments in the church without a regular call. So here's how it works. You're born a damn sinner. And then your parents say, oh, no, another damn sinner. That's the fourth one we've had. And then they they call the pastor and say, what should we do? And then the pastor says, come, let your little pagan become a Christian. Uh, And by the way, my offer still stands to any new mother who sends out that baptismal announcement to all the family and friends, not just in-house, it's got to be everybody, come, it was Luther's baptismal announcement, come see my little pagan become a Christian. You send that out, I give you a hundred bucks. Okay? <laughs> That's how the world works. So, um, was another damn sinner. Oh, yeah, okay, call the pet. What do we do? We'll bring him up here. We know what to do with sinners. We dunk him in. One, two, three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Ah! you got a saint on your hands now. And then what you want is to nourish that saint. To grow up to know that they're loved and not hated, which is why absolution, absolution, absolution. And as soon as they're able to be nourished by the Eucharist, because frankly, it's the kindest thing you can do to your kid. And to be honest with you, kids live in a very tough world. They need every defense they can. So um, call your pastor and have him... him, um, Put that, put that on him, because that's his job. I'm turning to number four. I'm also conscious that it's two minutes before the end. Um, I give you a few things. Um, sometimes sometimes people say, you know, why the pastor? Why does the pastor do that? Or that pastor wouldn't be my choice. And believe me, on many days, I agree with you. Uh, you know, that pastor wouldn't be my choice. Well, here's the thing. You know, that's what the Lord did. And and remember, I always blame you for this. You sent me a FedEx. Uh Paul's come by FedEx, not from your own heart. They're external. There's a man in brown shorts who comes to you and hands it to you. And he says, you know, report to Wheaton. That's how it works. So, um, you know, in the ordination right? there's all those places where it says, this is what you need. Uh, But the best thing I've ever read on ordination I give to you there, which is uh, the literal translation of Paul in um, 1 Timothy 1, where he says, I thank God, and the exact wording in Greek is, that he put me, passive verb, so he picked me up and he put me into the ministry. That's, those, are the, those are the words that are used, put into the ministry. You're put into it like you're dropped into a bathtub. I thank God that he put me into the ministry. So when people say there's no ministry and no ordination, they haven't read their scriptures, I give you the, the page there by Norman to uh, you know, take a look at. But he puts us in there, and then he puts us there for your good, and that, frankly, is um, quite amazing. And I'll give you this as your take-home exam because it's Thanksgiving and you've got nothing else to do. You've got a week off. I know, because that's what my kids said to me last night when they wanted to stay out late and sleep over places. Hey, i got a week off. So I'm figuring you all have a week off, too. So here's what to think about your week off. Number five, it's quite amazing that Christ would put the work, put, put his work into the hands of pastors. And equally amazing that he would put his work into your hands. Are you crazy? I mean, real honestly, if you were trying to make something work, would you pick me and pick you? I mean, here's the thing, I would just, there's a lot of people in the world, I wouldn't pick me and I don't know if I would pick you, however, you know, the Lord did pick you, how do you know He picked you? Well, there was water, and there was oil, and there was words for your eardrum, and body and blood for your tongue, so He picked you, you're it. And you can't ever say, I wasn't picked or I'm not it, because He picked you, and when you say he didn't pick me or I'm not it. You're disagreeing with him, and that's unfaith. So you should never go to bed again thinking you're alone and loved and not worth anything. He's picked you, he's used you, he's chosen you, you're it. Stop thinking about it and get busy. You can think you can waste all your time wondering not whether you're the guy. David could waste all his time wondering not whether he's the guy, and frankly, if you read the Psalms, he did spend a lot of time worrying about whether or not he was the guy. You can spend all your time thinking about that, or you can frankly just agree with God, cut to the chase, and get busy. You're baptized, you're a priest in the kingdom. You're forgiven, he loves you very much. (laughs) He gives you the Eucharist, the Mass is over. Get out the door and get busy. It's the external things, he's done them to you. Quit thinking about your own heart. Faith can't talk about itself. I will not. Faith goes out the door and gets busy, And it's all over the place. Romans 12.1, present your body as a living sacrifice. Galatians 6.10, do some good. The third commandment, come here on Sunday and be served. The liturgy, the last words of the Roman liturgy at least are, get out of here and get busy. But you get all that in the benediction too. If you read number six where the benediction is given, Jesus says, put my name on the people when you put my name on them. So you actually physically touch them, you put the name on them. It actually goes on them. You put the name on the people and you push them out the door and they're different people to make the world a different place. So number six, this is a story and a life of odd choices all around. I wouldn't have picked me and I wouldn't have picked you. David, to me, to you, to us, to congregations, to church, to means of grace. Who would think, as Luther says, this little water could save a soul? Who would think that bread and wine would be the sort of things that would nourish a person and make them indestructible if you want to know why you go to heaven, you go to heaven because the body and blood of Jesus in that bread and wine are in you, and, and the Father will not destroy his son, and so he won't destroy you who, surround, who is, surrounds his son. When the body and blood of Christ is in you, you cannot be destroyed. Okay, boom. So, faith agrees, so off you go now, get busy, hands and heart, all together one bit in the way of Jesus and the ultimate oddity, God made flesh, there's nothing stranger than that, but that's the way he chose to do it. And then to the cross, even stranger still, God dies. And then more, he actually gets resurrected. And that's your your pathway to heaven. For the life of the world, way, truth, life, Eden. And there's nothing more odd, or frankly, more better than that. And I am aware that more better doesn't ring in your ears, but then you need to watch more Spike Lee. Okay, y'all done? questions about anything all right thanks for indulging us we've got a, a busy and exciting uh, next 16 weeks friends uh, things are going to really sort of click around and change around there's going to be there's going to be a lot of motion um, but what you need to remember through all of this is you're the person that the Lord has chosen he loves you very much and here we go so uh, let's pray and then travel safely please and come back to us well and next week just a little tour next door to have some fun okay here we go Amen. Amen. Thank you. See you soon.